Join us as we cover many an insane movie and numerous cult TV phenomenons. Are you ready to get jacked up? Are you with us? Then listen on. Decently priced liquor and the squarest games of chance in the hills remain unabatedly available seven days a week. That is Mrs. Alma Garrett, whose husband purchased a gold claim for $20,000. I suppose a community such as this attracts a certain kind of man. Nobody's drinking, nobody's gambling, nobody's chasing tail. I have to deal with that. Get along with people, turn a dollar, look out for yourself. Just don't wait too long. You're gonna find out something now about yourselves and your fellow man. You may run for a long time. Run. And fuck the future! You cannot fuck the future, sir. The future fucks you. Pity not to recognize what's at stake. To go ahead and die stupid. Hate and a fool. It's a pleasure to see you again. Must be my lucky day. Considerable time since seeing you. Some put nods up, train to bring you home in a box. The senator from the great state of California, George Ambrose Hearst. You murdering, thieving cocksucker. Outlier Deadwood days are over. Walk with the future. Hearst won't take long before he honors the rigors of his putrid fucking nature.
back my bid for buying Utter's property, and I will drop any counteraction against the whore. Moving us from the center of town away from danger. I hate running from him, Saul. If it ain't for Hearst to follow the law, why the fuck should it be for you? My job ain't to follow the law, man. My job is to interpret it. I'm not made for such complexity. for you, Marshal. Expect you will, Senator. Alrighty, let's rock our engines. Right, rumble. We got author Lindsay G back. Hello. <laughs> Hello. And we got Dean and Eric from the 3324 podcast. How are Hello. you? Hello. Hello. So, <sighs> just decided... I always individually just will toss out some franchises because I'm tired of rescheduling and just having a bunch of people not sure if they want to go through all five installments or whatever. And I was like, and this was just one that stuck out to all three parties here. And I was just like, nice. <laughs> it's like, and we, we, we can do this because this is not just a neo-Western. This is just like a historical drama. This is a unusual character study. This is a moody piece as a whole. <laughs> so, uh, Lindsay, since you were first one up to nominate uh doing this show um Uh-oh. what was your first <laughs> intro to this uncanny setting <laughs> um well actually i think that deadwood the tv show was on tv right around the time that i was actually living about two hours south of deadwood south dakota that's um, oh, wow. <laughs> I I was living on the the Pine Ridge Lakota Reservation for a year, um, and I was doing volunteer work there, um, and so I was very excited that there was going to be this you know prestigious show about an area that I actually knew quite a lot about. But because I was very poor and just out of college at that point, I didn't have any way to access HBO. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it actually wasn't until years later that I was able to watch it. Um, and I'm really kind of glad that I put some time between when it came out and when I watched it, because um, I think uh, living as a living on the Pine Ridge Reservation, I was learning so much about Lakota culture and um <laughs> Yeah. The, the history of, of, you know, the, quote, Wild West. Um, and in the years since then, I've learned even more. And I think by the time I started watching Deadwood, um, I knew a lot more than I did at that time. And it really helped me understand mm. the show better, I think. So, yeah, uh, yeah I have this, this, this show really uh, has a very big place in my heart i guess <laughs> totally uh that's wild so you probably were encountering so many people saying i knew your ancestors kind of <laughs> uh, yeah uh, well the the cool thing about i mean this is probably a rant for later but i'll just say now that uh <laughs> the interesting thing about deadwood is there's virtually no native american characters in the show which is pretty mm. standard for a Western, um, you know, starring mostly white people, but I feel like the way yeah. that they did it, the, the setting was extremely important. And the fact that 
Deadwood was kind of this outlaw town in the middle of a disputed area that was literally part of a war zone for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. You always, you did have that feeling throughout the show, and I think that was pretty cool. It definitely felt diverse, despite not always having enough minorities. I mean, you had the Chinese and the mm-hmm. uh, some blacks, but yeah, I, I totally understand what you mean, where it's just like, yeah, it would have probably come into play one way or another. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I, I always felt like they had the native, the native population was always felt, even when they weren't on screen. I don't know. We can talk more about that later. <laughs> Go ahead. No, that's good. That's a good starting point. So, Eric and Dean. Um, so, Dean, you said earlier you had seen like DVDs. You didn't have access to any bootleg cable. And Eric, uh, what was your first turnaround with this? <laughs> Actually, Eric saw the Eric had the DVDs. I, I saw oh, okay. it when it was I saw it when it was on. Um, it right in, I mean, it was smack in the middle of the Sopranos era. Yeah, and and that was like must see TV as far as cable TV went. So, I think HBO felt maybe they had lightning in a bottle of everybody's watching The Sopranos. It's compelling TV, and this other this other show comes out, Deadwood. So they had kind of a built in audience for the people that were watching that type of content on HBO. Um, and I was I was smack in the middle of Sopranos, and a new show comes out from HBO. I'm like, oh okay, I gotta watch it. I gotta watch it. And yeah, I've always been a fan of westerns and. Uh, you know some of the you know Tombstone and Wired Up and Unforgiven and all that stuff. So it it kind of was in the in a somewhat similar vein, and I was I was there from 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 the word go. For sure. Yeah, yeah I'm I'm kind of with Dean on that. Um, this was a really great time for TV. Anyway, I mean we had you know not just on HBO, but you had things like uh, Ron Moore's Battlestar Galactica reboot. Which yes, I absolutely was head over heels in love with i came home every friday my folks are watching that and stargate back to back and they're like you better be quiet because we can't you know tivo this and rewind it and they talk they're just like the characters on x-files in 24th where they talk mumble very quietly and then you turn it down turn it up and then bam crash boom (laughs) but it was it was it was a i mean if if it wasn't this you know uh, it was reality TV, so there was this sort of long-form, <laughs> yes. you know, s- storytelling happening at this point in time, which was really exciting. And there seemed to be one something for every genre uh, at this point. You know, you, you already had shows like I think Oz, had, you know, come out and you know things like that. But then this is ever since 9/11, there's this this sense of like bringing more uh, authenticity to to whatever the subject was you know, at the time and, and making it more real and gritty and, and darker. Dr. Hill directs the pilot. So, you know, yeah. the business. He <laughs> right. done a flop with Jeff Bridges years ago. I think Keith Carradine even has a brief part in it. Like he did most of his movies. Uh, yeah. Bill. And I was yep. like, but this is more. Oh, he was my favorite, one of my favorite characters when they killed him off. I was like, damn it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause I, just, I, I, I went in there empty minded too. And I was like, I had no idea, you know, like, I'm sorry. You know, i I've been to Western museums before, but I've always kind of just, you know, grown up watching just anything, just whether it was Western shows or just even popular blockbusters like Tombstone and Young Guns. And it's like, I knew they were always going to take free license, but I was okay with it because it was a Wild West legend. So, you know, no one was ever 100%. But I know what you mean, where it's like, yeah, I mean, even though he's been dead, you still feel like he's there somewhere. The yeah, souls well, watching over them saying, boy, how did you guys really do need me now? <laughs> Pussies. <laughs> um, I was really surprised to know that uh, Greg 
Greenberg had worked with uh, as a producer on uh, Twin Peaks. And I have no doubt, I can't confirm, but I have no doubt that Mark Frost, the co-creator of that, had worked on Hill Street Blues years earlier with David Nose. So I'm sure he put his uh, name in the hat saying, call this guy up. He's your dude. Mm-hmm. And but I, th- I find that so interesting. Just go from Twin Peaks to this. It's like same kind of scenario on uh, Kenny Town with, you know, colorful characters. <laughs> yeah, very <laughs> similar. <disturbances. laughs> yeah, true. Uh, but yeah, there was a bunch of other uh, big names I was really surprised to see. I'd seen a bunch of other people who had worked on a few other things. But yeah, this is pretty much Milts is just basically at the third stage of his career. And he's just using a lot of the same writers and supporting actors that he used on NYPD Blue and just like, yeah, and you're going to play this character and you're going to play mm-hmm. that. And, you know, doing even a Wikipedia, just comparing and tries is like, yeah, I can totally see why they, you know, compared and said, yeah, I think you can play this character and you do look somewhat like the photo, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't, I didn't, I didn't become like every other biography that you watch now and you're like, not even close. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah. but no, yeah, that, that, that is a good point how it's, everyone's always kind of sort of known about it that you've always seen clips at the award shows or just in general, when there's a special about groundbreaking TV shows, I have always heard about it Ian Machang, We were always kind of recognizing it and everything. We're like, Oh yeah, that's that one guy who's always, you know, <laughs> Mr. Stuck yeah, he was so good. So good. <laughs> well, that's the thing you, you know, you get, you, you attracted you names like, like I mentioned uh, BSG, I mean, Ron Moore started on Star Trek, so I was a big fan of Star Trek. So, mm-hmm. so I, I, you know, that that was just a, a no-brainer for me because I, I actually was a fan of the original series back in the '70s. You know, as a kid, and then I was like, yeah, I really enjoyed his writing. So well, I that's thought, a good well, contrast because that was another one. Like, uh, both those are mentioned in uh, Men in Hard Times, talking about people making mm-hmm. rare breakthroughs in yeah. the TV from the '80s to today. And that was kind of the same way where everyone was kind of saying, oh, why bother? You know, you're remaking a campy 70s show. And it's like they got some free promotion through conventions back when that was first becoming kind of a thing again. Yeah. And by Edward James almost just kind of did some reverse psychology where he's like, anyone who wants the 70s Battlestar, turn away. And everyone was <laughs> They took the bait. They're like, "Oh, I'm gonna check yeah, this he, out now." He 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 and refused to do, he refused to do the show. If he if I see any any anything with three eyes or six <laughs> six arms or whatever, oh, I am going to faint on set and I am going to leave the show because that's not what I want to do. And he was, you know, so it was a very human take, you know. So but, true, because uh, like. Because, like, even though this is made kind of similar to a Western show where it's on a set and everything, it doesn't – The everyone forgets the production was not that same way. And I, yeah. that's a good point with those sci-fi shows is, like, even though they were similar and even had a few people doing calls outs to earlier 70s, 60s cult hit shows, they were not the same way, even though they were kind of a love letter at the same time. So, yeah, that, that that's very true. Is like, And I can kind of see how much like Oz, which I think is another underrated HBO gym – is owned by Reichert mm-hmm. Entertainment, yeah, which I think has also coincidentally gone to Viacom. <laughs> this is also co-owned by Paramount, so I think that's kind of why it was kind of a Fox CBS kind of move, where it's just like we don't want to fund this anymore because they're getting half the profit. So, mm-hmm. so 
But I, I do know that the guy, Christopher, what's his name, who was like head of HBO, he was kind of a shady character. He got in trouble years ago for like doing some bitch slapping on a girlfriend. And he was also kind of on the record as saying, echoing that many of he and his colleagues didn't necessarily, they're like, just because it's on our station doesn't necessarily mean we like it. So they were kind of bad mouthing Sex and wow. the City Sopranos. So it was like, yeah. well, gee, you hack. You are on yeah. <laughs> don't air it if you don't want actually love it you know it's just like she's yeah, fighting, fighting the hand that feeds yeah and, and he's now the head of stars and they're there doing similar shows now. okay yeah that makes sense Powell. right so it's like <laughs> so i think he's embraced it now but it's like fuck you seriously wow. <laughs> if i'm gonna green light something i better actually you know make it for a crowd that's gonna give me my money back or you know take passion in it you know instead of just be like yeah well it was the easy money yeah. <laughs> now well, i i wonder though if deadwood was easy like ever had the chance of being easy money you know it was because it was a western that really took sort of the poetry that you always want out of a western and just like Beautiful pushed it as far as it would go it was so high-minded and the way it was written <laughs> and performed was mm -hmm. just i mean it was hard to even follow along with sometimes i'd be watching a show and like you know maybe i had too many beers while i was binge watching it and i'd be like what the hell are they <laughs> talking about right now like yeah. I, it, it felt like i was watching a shakespeare play sometimes yeah if you're if you're not paying attention you know to every scene if you, if you look away for for whatever reason and leave the room just to go you know get a you know get a drink or whatever you come back and it's like what ju what what just happened you got to go yeah. back and because it's that detailed it's that you know these characters are all this they're all going through all their crises and this is very existential thing happening and all these shows they're just kind of like you know they're dealing with with problems and this is ambiguity this guy's not really a hero he's not really a villain it's mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah they all have their issues and you know it's 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 yeah you really got to keep keep up with it and, i did and too track, i had to have know. like kind of a wicca in front of me a glossary while i was watching it you know and oh smart and well <laughs> i i just <laughs> i take notes during everything because there's going to be something that comes out like right now i'm watching the isaac asimov influence show foundation and that's another one it's like okay no there is no you know, and my mother's the queen of that. I'm just going to reset the oven and be right back. I'm like, eh, eh, eh. Just do your thing. This is pause because you're going to ask me 500 questions that they will explain <laughs> for you. And I'm not doing that right now. <laughs> I want to enjoy this too. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think to Lindsay's point about the high mindedness of Deadwood, I, I think what, oh, yeah. what brings that to the forefront is I think when people are going to watch, especially coming from the era where the Sopranos was and, and you're expecting this over the top violence, you, it's not like watching tombstone where this gun fights every episode and people <laughs> are twist are swirling their guns around. Like it's not that mm -hmm. type of show. Yeah. It is more of a dramatic thing where guns are, are kind of a, a, a tool of the trade uh, every day, but it's that, that they show is not like that. Format, where it's just like, yeah. if there's going to be a gunfight, it's going to in a subplot that's been going on for, five episodes yeah. it's not gonna yeah. be it never like you say yes Lindsay is on the point this is never formulaic and like you guys have said it, it and Battlestar kind of got in just because after the start stuff started getting edgy in the late 90s or what you could or couldn't show you know mm -hmm. after 
10 o'clock on both regular and cable and paid channels, you know, they, they started taking notice and just saying, okay, well now we got to film everything just like a movie and have bigger name talent, have a bit of Mm -hmm. everybody, whoever we can afford. Right. And, but no, I, I mean, yeah, you, you, there's cursing, but you never feel like it's a, you know, over the top stand-up concert where it's like, okay, I get it already. And even though there is other content, there's never, it hardly got to the point of where Game of Thrones is, where you're like, this might as well be an adult porn. It's like, no, this is not like that. <laughs> yeah. Even yeah. Anywhere yeah. close to that. The, the many, many scenes where Swearingen is getting a blowjob, you never actually see the blowjob. You just know it's happening. And he makes it darkly amusing. <laughs> and I mean, if you're familiar with Milch working with Steve Bochco, I'm sure Bochco was constantly sending him emails saying, congrats, I never went that far. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. My disturbing yeah. comedies and shows. Who knew you could use the word cocksucker as literally every part of speech <laughs> yeah without getting an x-rating um right now reinhold heil is a german-born musician and i noticed he had worked on movies like run lola run and cloud atlas and like that kind of explains why this kind of has unusual kind of banjo it's hardly the kind of cliche that i would see in a john wayne over the top you know movie like they use original music. You you actually b- believe it's all authentic in the moment. Like it's just as key as the dialogue. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I I never felt like this. It was ever self indulgent. Like there was a storyline that I don't know where this is going. You all kind of know it's going somewhere. And I mean, going even back to other points that Lindsay was addressing about how there's not many Native American characters. How there's uh, not many. Uh, shall we say uh, just not very well esteemed you know positions for anybody there really isn't much of anything you can basically work for the unofficial marshal you know you can work you can work you know again for the bars or the whorehouses they all kind of go all together and i mean this addresses just so much stuff that it does make you wish other stuff would you know they never want to talk about this. They all want to, again, instantly just get to the gunfights and being tortured by, again, bandits. And it's just like, here we're seeing mental retardation, you know, addressed by yeah. the various mm-hmm. residents, especially at the innkeep. Is like, yeah, they're all limping uh, uh, the smallpox. And this is like, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, you get I, it. You I especially love uh, Brad Dorif in this, in this series. Mm-hmm. He was extraordinary mm-hmm. as Chucky, the doc. Yeah. He, I, I think it's probably his best role. You know, you've seen him in all these, in these really eccentric type I'm roles, sure he or he's a villain, or whatever. But <laughs> he was, he was. Re- I mean, revisiting this, I, I, I really enjoyed every scene he was in. You know, he, he always just, played yeah, just, just a yeah. crazy guy or just yeah. uh, idiot villain, and and I guarantee you, he probably loves it too. I've been fortunate enough to see him at conventions along with his daughter Fiona, who's kind of gotten to the same kind of shtick as him, and. Uh, yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it, where uh, at this point, you know, he couldn't go wrong and he was able to at least uh, just do a different kind of characterization. And I mean, seeing him do this back to back with Lord of the Rings, I do definitely think. Oh, he's still bat. I mean, very batshit crazy, but he's <laughs> but he's, you know. But he's, he's also probably very, taking who knows how much of his own overdose medicine just to get through the day and get yeah. not get depressed. Yeah, his humanity in this thing was 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 terrific, you know, and that's yeah, what I cool. liked, you know, the humanity in everyone in every character, basically. Mm-hmm. So yeah, 
and they do kind of they very much evolve like one season they're annoying the next season they are very much just like kind of becoming a bigger thing about the town and it's especially hysterical seeing the stage promoter uh langrish played by brian cox you know it's like how he went from this to later now on secession you know (laughs) (laughs) being a mad scientist role on born identity and x-men is like all these roles is like this is probably the most colorful of his earlier career, I think, just because he's like, well, how'd he do? I'm going <laughs> to give this town a makeover. And you're like, this is the worst possible town you could ever <laughs> Well, Deadwood um, is still a gambling town, by the way, and that's where they have the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally. Um, oh, really? These oh. days. Yeah, that's where it happens. So uh, when <laughs> I moved to South Dakota, it was right around the time of the Sturgis Rally. And there were bikers coming in from every direction, bikers everywhere on the roads to Deadwood. And so that's how I actually got to Deadwood the first time, um, was a few of my other volunteer friends and I drove up there because we just wanted to take in the spectacle of mm-hmm. Deadwood and, you know, just bikers everywhere. Everyone's drunk. It's It was a scene. Um, and and mm-hmm. since then... The Sturgis Rally has become like a super spreader event two years in a row. You know, oh, it's like dear. this town just. Yeah, this sums out. Sounds so sounds like sounds like nothing has changed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, everybody it, comes roaring the town into town drinking. Yeah. Right, they're uh-huh. they're roaring in on their motorcycles instead of horses, and they're coming in drinking. And yeah, <laughs> so I mean they they've really embraced their past as their identity. So like. On Halloween now, they have ghost tours, and I think on, like, the anniversary of uh, Wild Bill's death, they do a reenactment every year. I do recall that, yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a big it's a big tourist town, and, you know, well done to them. But I think, um, like, the thing that the show really gets to for me is that at that time, um, technically, no white people were not supposed to be in the Black Hills at all. Legally yeah. speaking... Mm-hmm. They they were not permitted to be there. Yeah, and the show takes <laughs> off right after Custer was killed in Montana. Um, and so the, the legalities were sort of being molded at that time. And, you know, some people just showed up in Deadwood and found some gold there and said, well, you know what? <laughs> we live here now. This is our land. Um, is but it really land. was. <laughs> but it really was not anybody's land. It was under dispute. And I feel like the what we've been talking about of kind of the the constantly rising tension of the show that's punctuated by some gunfights and some violence, but there's not it's not drenched in violence. I feel like oh, that totally. tension really works because I mean none of these people were legally here. They had no flag to fly. They weren't technically part of any country. They were trespassing on the the land that was supposed to be the great Sioux nation, but they were not Sioux. So <laughs> I, I feel like the whole show, like there yeah. there is this really existential dread of like, what's going to happen? Are we going to become part of South Dakota? Is South Dakota going to become part of the United States? There were supply lines. They could get most of what they needed. But when smallpox showed up, they didn't have everything they needed. They didn't have even the people that they needed to care for the sick. And I love how in that in that moment you see Brad Dourif's character, the doctor, really step up and be like, 
possibly the only decent human being in town. Yeah, yeah. Until Calamity Jane, the drunk, shows up and helps him. And it's, <laughs> yeah. it's just the most beautiful, heartbreaking scene to realize that, you know, these people who, for all intents and purposes, are trespassing on this land, um, mm -hmm. and many of whom are acting that way, um, still have a heart. You know, and they're they still want to help people. I yeah. thought I'll tell you, I, I don't think it was so what I was seeing George Hurst because I had read all about uh, uh, the documentary on how, you know, he was the inspiration for Orson Welles. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think it's funny uh, that it's, it's that okay. also, so, you know, I, I, I think it's funny also that um they these characters like Swearingen and and Seth Bullock have no problem fighting amongst amongst each other and bickering. But like Lindsay said, when there's a bigger issue about maybe being annexed or the government getting involved, they all come together. Yeah. Uh, you know, they they whatever they they can fight and bicker and and punch each other. But when there's a bigger threat like Hearst or or uh, when the government is thinking about what they're going to do with them and take over, they 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 come together, uh, put everything aside and and in in kind of uh, to deal to deal with the bigger problem. Yeah. I totally concur. I, I, yeah. I think, and that's just a good, very rewarding perspective from from a narrative standpoint to have that kind of predicament. You know, to yeah. everything comes full circle, so it doesn't just feel like you're just, you know, making this up as you went along. And I mean, everyone's definitely very just comfortable, just all bringing these to life. It's especially fun seeing. Brom, uh, Alma's husband in season one, you know, played by Lassie <laughs> <Dude>. Syke and uh, <laughs> Bosch himself, Harry Bosch. Uh, Titus Welliver is one of yep. uh, Swearingen's, you know, uh, uncanny. Is like he's a messenger at first for, for him between him and another guy he's bickering over, and then he ends up becoming his right hand. <laughs> it's like that was a plot <laughs> twist. I'd like to know if that was inspired or if they. And I mean, this show. I had seen Rome, which came later, but mm -hmm. I mean that when that was first pitched, it was often told make Deadwood, but during Roman times. And yeah. so I do kind of like how this kind of inspired a bunch of people to just start making a bunch of historical kind of fiction, but not getting too over the top. Some of them did later on. And this one, I think just wanted to just be like, okay, so the stuff we're going to, you know, do for plot's sake, you know, you can see why we had to change a few things up. Like, uh, Trixie is going to be married to this one guy who did become a sinner, but in real life wasn't married. But let's just say for this purposes, he was. So, yeah. like, okay. Yeah, and, the, I, I guess the good thing about it getting, you know, getting unceremoniously canceled so early is that it di didn't really get a chance to jump the shark and no. we wear out its welcome. <laughs> as sad as I am about the about the three seasons, the great thing about it is it's only three seasons and you're getting just a, an amazing watch of of these episodes where it, mm -hmm. it is they That's just right. they each season they built better and it didn't get to that tipping point of now what do we do when we on the other side of it because they never got to the other side of it so they really were just kind of built this, this this whole universe of people and added like you said added brian cox and uh garrett dillahunt came in twice you know he played yeah. uh yeah. you know he played uh, jack mccall and then he comes back in the second season as uh, as the serial killer guy yeah so, Oh. He, he's always been just kind of the go-to for playing like a deputy or a serial killer and just seeing him just play <laughs> both those roles and they made him look so differently. Yeah. You really do forget uh, this is the same guy. And I'll, I'll, 
Yeah, I was I was literally like, they really couldn't just hire somebody else. I mean, he's a great actor, but I'm like, he was just literally a significant character in the first mm-hmm. in the first season. Like he was throughout and and not just a, a a background character. And then all of a sudden he shows up in season two. I'm like, oh, there he is again. The movie yeah. claimed he also plays like a, a drunk, uh, given a calamity Jane hell at one point. But I I had no uh, problem spotting him. So what do I know? Um, I think they pretty much brought everybody back. It's you know. And yeah, they probably threw him, threw him a bone. Say, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come on, come on, set. We'll find something for you to do. Right. Oh, totally. <laughs> um, and I know Lindsay definitely wants to talk about Calamity Jane. That was just brilliant casting. It's like I never knew, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Robin Weiger just playing just so against type, and just I don't know anyone else who would be brave enough to do that kind of role because you know we were kind of having crappy, you know casting back in the day where everyone was like oh you gotta look everyone's gotta look pretty and it's just like well mm. this is this is none of these people are pretty so no <laughs> we're a historical piece so <laughs> and uh i i do you feel like most of these people who are portrayed are playing kind of the best versions of these outlaws <laughs> for the most part or historical legends i think so i think they <clears throat> i think what's extraordinary is they just the production design in general, <clears throat> the, you know, the grittiness of it, the, you know, everything's, everybody's dirty. Everybody's uh, the mud in the streets. The, it's very visceral and you just kind of, you believe in this world. So no matter what happens in the show, you, at least, you, at least you got that to, you know, to draw you in. And it's like, okay, this is interesting. You know? So no matter how many times they say the F word and, this and that which sometimes you know gets it's a little much it's like you know yeah i don't think i don't think they talked this way back in the day but i think dean you pointed out we we talked about this uh earlier in the week i think you had pointed out that back in the day terms like what like like goddamn and and things yeah. like that were a big, so a big deal <laughs> yeah yeah back that, in that the was day yeah, that, that was, was a big deal back then so so they, but so, but saying the you know saying fuck is like that's up in the ante, you know, cause it's HBO and they, you know, we have to get it, you know, you know, we have to go that far, you know, but if, boy, every other word, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it's a lot of, it's, it, it, I don't think it's, it, it doesn't seem uh, gratuitous in that, in yeah, that way. Like it's, it, I it, definitely it, it, don't get a lot. You really feel like this character, like, like Swearingen, <laughs> I mean, you know, this is, this is just the way, this is who he is. This is how he talks. Mm-hmm. And that's part of his language, and that's that that, that you know it it it's a testament to a, a remarkable actor like Ian Machine to to do this, you know. Yeah, so he, you really believe in that character. So to your point, Cam is is yeah. I think every I think everybody who played in this thing was was this is make it or break excellent. it. You know, excellent. Yeah. Some of them are at the second or third stage of their career, and some of them are at the beginning of their career. They've just been like a guest star, you know. Yeah, and. You see their later choices on. It's like I totally understand. Like I think this is why Gerald McRaney has only been playing villains. He is never playing Simon and oh Simon again. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and uh, again we're talking about Trixie Paula Malkison. You know, she's on Vinaba and other similar moody shows like uh, Sons of Anarchy and Ray Donovan. And um, uh, I've never seen even Stephen Toblowski as a crooked commissioner. You know, he's always the funny guy. So it's like, okay, that that's very against gets point. Um, um, there, there's a bunch of other guys who, uh, I, I I would 
I mean, I've seen him in other later productions, and I I can see why this got them more roles, like especially W. Earl Brown as mm-hmm. uh, what's his name, Dan, um, Dan Doherty. Dan Doherty, yeah. Dan. <laughs> Dan. And the guy he fights against in that brutal fight was an actual uh. stuntman who'd been in various movies. So it's like, yeah, it, it, all the casting of this makes yeah. sense. That was I brutal. know. Oh, totally. Uh, I know they interviewed, believe it or not, the uncredited extra who's actually seen uh, Unclothed in the opening credits every episode. And she talked about how it was like 70 degrees during the day and then like 30 degrees at night. And so and personally, I would be pissed off if I was the art director who had to rebuild the set when they made the movie years later. (laughs) Right. And personally, I also want to know, I want an updater on the F-bomb counter. <laughs> it's like, because it's definitely not huh. less than 3,000. Yeah, good point. Of, <laughs> updated for the movie. But I, I do understand what you're saying. Is this like, it de- the dialogue just definitely felt like very more naturalized, even though they were taking creative licenses. Like, well, see, I'm cool with that versus, because like, I, I remember getting pissed off when I saw the Pretend to Yuma remake. I was like, I, I sincerely doubt anyone talks this way back then. You know, it's yeah. like at least Django Unchained wasn't trying to be, you know, historical. That was just Tarantino being <laughs> yeah, stupid. That's, that's like, yeah, that's I, I, I think the cursing is more like, yep, I think of it almost in, uh, for this show as punctuation. Mm-hmm. Because the because the characters are not stupid. Like like Al Swearingen is not a dumb guy. Right. No. So it's not like that. This is the only way he he knows how to talk. I think that you know I think they're more like kind of in inflections and and punctuation to get their point across of either frustration or they use the same word. Yeah, like you said, in different tenses and in, and in different ways uh, depending on the situation. So I never thought of it as oh they're they're just not not smart characters or lack the <laughs> lack the vocabulary because they certainly know how to get their point across and that's the great thing is is how these characters are written and how they communicate yeah it's just point, that the, the cursing's a byproduct it's kind of like yeah we throw yeah. these in just to kind of punctuate the point i agree oh, totally. and i actually i think that the character of swearingen being the one who uses cursing the most um like he he really is who he says he is, but he's also playing a role. Like the character himself is playing the role of, you know, the the bad guy, the bad boss, the guy who runs the town, who runs the whores. And I think that he kind of overuses bad words to get more attention and to play that role more convincingly. Like the few yeah. times in the show when we see him with his guard down, he doesn't not swear, but you can see that there's a difference between who he is at, you know, at heart and sort of the role that he plays to run this town with. And I think yeah. that the swearing is very much part of that character. It's like wearing yeah. it's like a hat, wearing a badge or wearing a hat, yeah. right? It's like yeah, he very wasn't much ever, he was the... at least still calling everyone a whore or a bitch, you know. He was <laughs> cuz and uh, no one ever is shown to be invincible. I mean, all of them are having heart attacks or, you know, kidney stones or other shit just going on, especially with him. You know? <laughs> oh, my goodness. No. And <laughs> I like how they show the awkwardness, but never like to a point where it just feels like an exploitation or just taking too much advantage of the freedom of it being on a satellite channel. It's like this was all planned out. This is always in their blood to tell these kinds of, you know anthology stories you know yeah and, and you see that that, uh, that like Lindsay was saying with swearingen with with the preacher how oh yes you know he, he, he had no he has no time for the preacher yeah, no time for <laughs> the preacher but when he, 
Yeah. But, but when the preacher got sick, he, you know, or, or wanted to sit and listen to the piano, he's like, okay, you know, that, you know, that that's fine. And then when, when it was time for him to, it was a mercy killing, yeah. but he kind of did what he had to do. Um, understanding that he was going to suffer and it was, it was a very difficult and, and just touching scene, but you could see the way Ian McShane played it as well. Cause at the end, when, when the preacher died, he's like, you know, rest easy brother. Like he wouldn't, if he didn't care about that, you know, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have saw him off that way for lack of a better term. You know, he would have just had someone kill him, mm-hmm. but you know, it, it, there, there are those flashes of caring and, and yeah, the, yeah. And, and, and yeah, the, the cursing is that bravado and it's that front. Absolutely. Lindsay. Yeah. And it's it's funny that that they're they they're not afraid to poke humor at you know poke uh, make Never. it aware so like, like Wu, like. the character of Wu comes in you know cocksucker you know like and they play <laughs> that up it's, it's a joke then, like because everybody talks this way so mm-hmm. he's that's the only piece of English he knows you know? yeah. <laughs> and you know so you know that that's a little bit of that's funny there and then, <laughs> and then there's one point where especially the whores you know, yeah one of the characters like, says. Uh, do people really talk like that in one episode? I think it's the um, yeah, um, the mayor. E. Farnham says the it's mayor. A... Farnham, yeah. yeah, that's right, guys. Before people yeah. were live tweeting, people were getting wind of bulls, uh, people talking shit, so they would address it <laughs> subtly. <laughs> Work for the show, and it's like, it, but that that is ballsy, and that is cool that they went there. Um, yeah, and I've I, I've never seen Powers movie this diabolical out of all the bad. Oh my goodness! Came, came close in Tombstone. He he out Tombstoned himself in in this. Yeah, movie. I agree. <laughs> I definitely. Agree. I, I think I think his work in Tombstone got him this role. Uh, absolutely, Curly Bill. Curly Bill is like this guy's yeah. cousin. Yeah. <laughs> well, I knew he was gonna give Swearage in a run for his money. As soon as he came to town, I was like, okay, just well, you know, here we go. <laughs> Yeah, and I love yeah. how they set the the two actors up against each other too, because Ian McShane plays Swearingen in this kind of like he works hard to appear unsophisticated, but he is quite sophisticated, quite mm. intelligent, and mm. clearly brilliant. And so when they had you know his <laughs> rival show up in town right. looking very sophisticated. The, yes. like, he's everything on the outside that Swearingen is on the inside. It was a perfect matchup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's so true. Uh, I mean, it is showing you how basically back then everyone was about the looks, and that's just that speaks to society. Is like we judge how everything looks. Still, we just oh can't help God. it. <laughs> Can I go on a, a brief tangent here about looks? I've been thinking about this. <laughs> go for it. I think that one of the that coolest argument. things about. Um, about Deadwood generally is that it actually really makes characters out of the prostitutes. Yes. You get to know them and you see them in their daily work, right? You, you mm-hmm. get a real feel for what their lives were like. And so much of the time in Westerns and really anything from, you know, ye olden times America, um, you get maybe an idea, you see little glimpses, but you don't really feel like you understand the lives that no, these women were living. It was always titillation. It was like, we, we want someone to undress in the scene, so here we go. It's like, but right, no, exactly. this one shows and, that every other kind of person in undressing right. is like, yeah. They, I, the I cool feel just as that, disgusted as them. <laughs> yeah, one of the cool things that Deadwood did was like, they allowed nudity on the part of the prostitutes to just be part of 
what they did. Like it, it's not racy most of the time. It, no. They're just there, and there's you know a boob hanging out. Like <laughs> yeah. it's gonna as a matter happen. Of fact. <laughs> right, it's exactly. It's slow moving, but you know where the whole thing is going. You never felt like they were just on the fly. Well, what do we do next week? You know, is like very carefully orchestrated. And I mean, David Miltz is a very self. Uh, confessed gambler so he's pretty much showing everybody getting kicked out you know outside of the bar <laughs> having lost a gambling thing and it's like there's never any glamorization of that either it's like and yeah. i really hate how every other movie had to be set in vegas for the longest time and just be like oh look at what i won it's like yeah well you're one in how many <laughs> Yeah, like, in, in, in Deadwood, the house always wins. <laughs> no matter what. That's more realistic. Uh, the only you're, not walking out, you're not walking out with money because you'll take it in credit. <laughs> They're giving out credits, like people bring in gold. Can I have credit for, for, for booze and, and women? Sure. So, you know, it's kind of, can I have credit for the craps tables? Sure. So all the money yeah. just stay. All the money just stays in, in these saloons anyway. They, it doesn't really I go too to far. Be <laughs> yeah. I pay to be robbed. Yeah. What did you think about uh, how uh, Harry Manning, his name is actually John Manning, uh, the barman at the tin saloon who later becomes one of the crooked uh, cell keepers at the sheriff's jail in the movie. I thought that was a total turnaround. Mm. And I thought that was just the wise idea for the movie to go, because like the movie, most movies are just often just an extended reunion special and just nothing to really think about unless you're a (laughs) hardcore fan. And I liked how it was kind of a standalone Western, but it included flashbacks whenever necessary. And yeah, like, I, having I, it be all about av- preventing one giant lynching and taking down some of Hearst's mercs for hire, I thought that was the best way to go. Yeah, and it was a quick it was a quick throwaway line too. And it, 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 during that scene when uh, when when that character's coming in to to kill uh, uh, Franklin AJ's character. Um, and he yeah, says, so when, when when the other guy comes in, he goes, say he goes, say you saw me trying to kill him, and it happens so quick that you almost don't hear it because he basically confesses that he's in on on the kill, you know, on the on the setup. Um, so I, yeah, I thought, yeah, it was, like was kind of like a very quick throwaway line. It's like, yeah, say you know, and he's like, hit me on this side of the head. It's like, wait, wait, what? What do you mean, hit you on this side of the head? <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, back it up a bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant casting there by uh, Don Swayze. That's right, Patrick's. Yeah, brother. he was the other guy. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it, there was him, and there's some other guy playing one of the other gun guys. But I liked how it just kind of, it kind of even related to today. You know how we're just capturing crimes on. You know, we needed a phone back then, and it's like, and this went back to the just the typical. Well, the black guy was there, so by default he is guilty. You know, because of prejudice back then. Yeah. Even then, in even in Dakota, and so it's yep. like it was a good motive and race against time scenario and it's just like yeah that and uh i i do like how again just everyone is vulnerable like, like you've all been stating is just like seth is a marshal but there's plenty of times where he loses it and where he would you know in reality probably you know get sued or <laughs> get beaten up and someone else would take his badge and become sheriff for a day so yeah it's just like no one ever feels uh safe i mean i, I like how uh Mrs. Bullock, Martha, you know, is just like she's not sure if she wants to even bring Calamity Jane to, you know, teach for a day because she's like, I hope you're not going to use too much colorful language for the kiddos. You know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> just taking uh, yeah, a trust can... in the most unlikeliest of people. Can we just take a moment and appreciate the character of Calamity Jane in this show? I just absolutely fell for her completely. And Actually, going back a little bit to the 
the issue of appearance. Um, I really thought that in Deadwood especially, you see the difference between the appearance of the prostitutes and, say, the widow uh, Garrett, right? Yes. And and uh, Mrs. Bullock. And, you know, how how completely opposite ends of the appearance spectrum they appear on. You know, the, the women with money and status, like, they never have a hair out of place in public. They're, oh, totally. And they are dressed head to toe, like, you can't even see their necks most of the time. <laughs> and That's very true. Both Bullock and Garrett, you know, just both opposites ends. The men marry out of respect to care for the widowed, you know, and... Uh, yeah, even... and these are these are the women who have men looking out for them, who have money, who have the respect of the community. They are <laughs> completely covered up, and that's how things were in these times, in Victorian times. You know, like a woman's ankle, like if you showed an ankle in the wrong place, they thought like heads would explode. You know, <laughs> but meanwhile, on the other end of the spectrum, you have the prostitutes who, you know, their tips are hanging out and nobody cares. And then in the middle of this, you have Calamity Jane, who is kind of on neither end of the spectrum, wears men's clothing, doesn't mm-hmm. do anything mm. to make her appearance palatable to anyone. Yeah, I, I yeah. you do kind of gotta get the sense she kinda had to buck up. She was tired of having to beat every guy an inch within their life when they were hidden on her. <laughs> so yeah, I that, that that tells the story all there, you know, just the rough and tough uh time. I mean, even when the Earp brothers visit, you know. <laughs> much like Jane, they were always kind of portrayed as just a gunfighter who ends the saga, you know, in a episode of TV or in a movie. And it's like there is like, no, they're just a spectator. And sometimes they participate and other times they don't. But yeah, in Jane's case, she basically it was so cool to see her kind of go on her own adventure in the movie. And, uh, you know, much in the show, she kind of was just also just kind of finding the most unusual friends and <laughs> uh, just honoring Wild Bill. Um, yeah, and she did develop in a realistic way. It's not like by yeah. the end she was sober and mm-hmm. and had turned her life around, but she had, you know, the character had progressed through the seasons of of kind and of dealing with some of those things and, and too, help you know? being a help and helping out and you know doing all those mm-hmm. kinds of things. Well, it's, it's interesting you you, you you mentioned the spectrum. Uh, one one character that hasn't been mentioned yet is Joni Stubbs, and she's oh, um, oh yes, sorry, you know, she is the well-to-do prostitute looks mm-hmm. very much like, you know, Alma Garrett. She's yep. her hair is and perfect, gonna... you know. Yeah. But you see her character go from that to, you know, she's sleeping with a couple of prostitutes in in the bed and you you really do see a a, a different side of her unfold in this thing yeah. too. They do. So it's they like, you know, very and of course the relationship that she has with Jane. So, mm-hmm. you know, so how it's, many of them are underage? Yeah. How many of them are, you know, mm, yeah, just doing this just to get by? They're not actually serious about it, so their heart's not in it, so therefore they're not giving it their all. And, and, yeah, I mean, it, it, no, no, I can't think of any other stone that wasn't unturned uh, in this whole predicament, especially on that scenario. Um, mm. And uh, I like how everyone can be like annoying one episode and then funny the next. It's just like, well, that's. Uh, that adds an extra set of realism to it. I mean, I'd, I, William Sanderson from Blade Runner, I don't think I've ever seen Evie 
be even yeah. more annoying. And then by the movie, he's now the mayor. I'm like, well, okay, someone had to take it, I guess. That makes sense. I, I don't think there's an episode where he's not getting under somebody's skin or something. <laughs> like, like even when he doesn't try, even when he's like innocently just doing something, people just have no tolerance for. Even you know, Al gets sick of him after a while. Yeah, he's, like, he's like a walking just, worm. Like everyone right. just absolutely. Just I just because love like, the he's fact like, that come he... on, he's like gum on the shoe. Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> get away, get off. And you Sit on my bed character. and try not to bleed. <laughs> you mentioned his character in Blade Runner. It's like his 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 JF. He's, he's got like a different uh, you know set of uh, you know letters there, but it's like it's <laughs> essentially the same same character. Like he's the you know the sap. You know, like <laughs> he just gets totally. basically yeah. So. He was getting out of B-movie territory. <laughs> oh, this was a who's who of, like, real great character actors. I mean, it's just, you yeah. you know, and it was great to see them do something special like this. And I wonder like how many before, times a day they had to shave or you had to keep this beer for a month. <laughs> right, yeah. You gotta look like a hobo. <laughs> <laughs> oh, especially, uh, God, I can't remember his name. The guy who never talked, but he always wore suspenders. Oh, the, the older gray guy. Yeah, I think yeah. he passed away before this uh, movie came out. But yeah, that, that, yeah, he, it's just so funny how yeah, well, darkly funny. It's not yeah. funny funny, but much like most of this, this is all darkly funny. Yeah, Evie <laughs> will be yelling at him because he's basically he's always been picked on. So yeah, yeah, do do? the the bully pick on the others beneath him. <laughs> yeah. and it's like yeah, and uh. Often the guy will sometimes just walk away halfway before he's talking. He's like, I know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> Love that character. Oh, man. Yeah. So, did we did we like Keith Carradine as Wild Bill Hickok? Did he did I, feel like he nailed it? Or, or this is what? such I mean, an underrated role for him, I think. But yeah, you'd you be the judge. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I think I, it definitely you know, took off his TV career because, I mean, he had all always done all kinds of independent movies and TV movies, but yeah. I think this was, you know, I think this is what got him the roles on other stuff like Madam Secretary and Fargo app for sure. <laughs> I wish he, I just wish he was just in just a couple episodes more. I was like, ah, oh, you know, <laughs> just way too early, you know, it's like, damn it, let's stretch this out a little bit, you know, but yeah, they, they really yeah. left you wanting more with that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, just as, like, just, yeah, just, just the way he bounced off the other characters, how he was a calming influence to Jane yeah, you know, and and you know, Jane was like at his feet all the time, and 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 Charlie would be bugging him, and and you mm -hmm. know, just he just wanted to be left alone, and just kind of was was knew that he was at the end of his career, uh, so so he was just a melancholy character, and Keith Carradine is normally known for playing like these easygoing, easy breezy type, yeah, yeah, type things, guy. and and yeah. <laughs> yeah, and and this was yeah, he was just a tired person, you know, and just and found that kindred spirit in Seth Bullock that they're men of the same cut. You know, I think they mm -hmm. weren't, you yeah. know, and, and that Wild Bill was only ever meeting people that said, I, I saw you somewhere or wanted his autograph right. and, and just wanted to exist and not be burdened by by his his notoriety. And, I totally and kept Bullock, expecting his brothers yeah. to make an appearance or two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the like the Long Riders. Re yeah, exactly. That's exactly oh, what that I was thinking. a good yeah. one, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He basically still is in Long Riders mode. You, you keep because I mean. <laughs> Except he just drinks more. He doesn't even start <laughs> fight or anything. He just looks on and say, and are you going with your belongings or am I going to have to kick you out? But they <laughs> never let, you know, these characters never let you forget them. 
His Never. spirit is throughout the whole yeah. show. He's always yeah. mentioned. He's always there. His his presence is felt, especially yeah. through Jane and 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 uh, Charlie. You know, yeah. so, so there's always recalling that. You know, because they were, you know, they were family. You know, in a sense. So it's like you know. So, but see, well, Seth, you know, like Bullock actually hardly knows the guy. I mean, they they just met and and to see him like. You made an impression, so you made cry, it like with that, that. That was such a heartbreaking scene. Just mm. my goodness, like just it just happened so suddenly, and he's like tearing up over this guy. It's like because they, they there was that kinship there, that unspoken, like yeah. he pointed out. You know, there was something that they connected with there, and uh, yeah, there was a, sort of a maybe a spiritual thing. I don't know or something like yeah. you know the you Sympatico know he saw, spiritual. Yeah, he yeah. saw something yeah. in Seth that made about himself that maybe him came al al alive just a little bit in this existential crisis that he was going through at this point. Yeah. Um, so he kind of felt a little, you know, and it, 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 it's and that's the moment he gets killed. It's like, yeah. damn it. <laughs> and <laughs> and I love what you what you said about how like the shadow of him being killed in Deadwood kind of extends over the entire series and I, yeah. I actually think that's kind of true about the real town of Deadwood too like I mean it's what mm -hmm. 140 some years no 50 some years later and they still do a, a reenactment of him getting shot in that town well, there you go. And, yeah. I mean it and I, I think there's a lot to be said about how much Wild Bill was an embodiment of like the idea of the Wild West and totally I mean, the the time at which this show takes place is the mid-1870s, and that really was kind of the height of the Wild West. But it was almost the moment where the dream of the Wild West sort of overshadowed the reality of it. Mm, very and I much. feel like the fact that, you know, Wild Bill was killed in this, you know, typical but not exactly glorious way, um, during a card game, you know, shot in the back, and it, it kind of, I don't know, it kind of crystallized a moment of what the Wild West was and could be and was supposed to be, mm. and it it made Deadwood, like, mean something that it oh, didn't totally. before. Yeah. And I think that the way that they, you know, continuously were talking about him and you just felt him throughout the show really says something about, like, how... I don't know, in that moment, something was gained and lost for the way that we think of the Wild West. And I, mm -hmm. I don't know, it fits right into the, the, the no, I'm, I'm tragedy of the show. I, I think it, because it, it had to, uh, I mean, just realistically speaking, and just, uh, you know, for a story standpoint, it's just like, uh, if all you're used to seeing is just people beat each other up and some other violence escalating, it's like eventually you just kind of just, I think that's just it. Everyone had to just say, well, I'm just about, I'm just going to get comfortable here. <laughs> Enjoy the ride. Yeah. Less. yeah. I, you know, I think when, in, in talking about, you know, Keith Carradine and, and how awesome and incredible Ian McShane is because he, no one could touch him in the show. Mm. I, I think Timothy Oliphant had the harder job though, yeah. because he couldn't be over, you know, the villains often get the best lines and the best mm. roles because they can yeah. chew it, you know, they can chew it up or not chew it up too much. Uh, Timothy Oliphant, I think, did most of his acting 
visually. Like he, he, the character never says a lot, but the way he walks or and and like just gritting does, his teeth, just does like, he, does, to, and like he, his body, his torso doesn't move. He like glides through crowds, <laughs> and, That's and right. just the way he, the way he looks, he'll look from like the top of his hat, like his. Cause he, and he wasn't a big name before this. He really, I mean, he was in like Gone in sixty seconds and some other films, but this was like a big role for him. And and I to knew play, he was to play honest. the opposite. He had to be the opposite of of the over the top Al. Oh totally. I had seen Scream Two and Die Hard Four, but I <laughs> I knew he was in this, but I you know I hadn't seen it. It was just one of those like oh, I've heard good stuff about it. He's getting talked about quite a lot. He's he's a, he's the shit now. He's appearing in everything now. And so when he got Justified, which you know I binged a lot during college, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. You know he's playing a modern day cowboy, and then he's showing up on The Mandalorian, which is a total yeah. tribute to these earlier it's roles. Exactly. Like, yeah. Like Boba Fett's armor. Right. Yeah, I think I think what it what it is too. It's like you know, like Dean pointed out, like the way he just his body language is almost a a, a classic Western trope. Like it's mm-hmm. the tall, you know, the, you know the straight laced guy, like just quiet, you know. So, but then they're on the, at the same time they're subverting the you know the the cliches, you know, like we mm-hmm. talked about Wild Bill saying like very much like Unforgiven. They're kind of that's a good point. I was gonna they're, say that I think kind of like breaking those 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 classic Western like the the romantic aspect of westerns yeah. back in the day. Totally, Unforgiven down. Opens and that's up. A, the, yeah, there was some there's some there's some similarities there. I think I, I thought of Unforgiven a lot while watching the show because how I mean, Clint, you know, have you broke ever those seen tropes? Yeah. Have you ever seen any other for hire a gun for hire who just has to say goodbye to his, you know, kids and just say. Yeah. And you know, he's who's widow and says, and you got to take care of the younger ones. And it's like, well, how do you do that? <laughs> you don't really know. <laughs> and it's just such a sad scene. But yeah, um, I, I think it, it definitely made so many modern day westerns just reignite. And it just kind of sucked because after a while, you know, there were so many bad westerns in the nineties. I already <laughs> mentioned Wild Bill before I mentioned this, which had Keith. And it was like, but. I mean, the interest never stopped igniting. It was like there was always TNT was taking advantage of it. It was like, let's have a miniseries or mm. a two-part TV movie, you know, every few years. And, I mean, you can tell Keith just embraced that because, I mean, he'd been in so many period pieces by, you know, Al, uh, Alan uh, Rudolph and, uh, you know, Robert Altman. So, I mean, I think all these actors were going to just be used to doing some kind of historical drama and – I mean, I, I do like how Carradine apparently I do recall him hosting Turner Classic movies, including Stagecoach, which starred his father John. So. <laughs> yeah. And so I, I think yeah, I, I think these guys are all going to go down in like the Wild West Hall of Fame just because <laughs> like there there's considerable significance here. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and there, and there really had hadn't been a, a a Western television series either that. Yeah, that, that ran, that you know, I mean, it, it, it was, a, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so like, yeah, you get Unforgiven, you get Dances with Wolves, you get Tombstone, Lonesome you get Dove, these, you get these one, one-off yeah. Westerns that kind of revitalize, <laughs> but but you don't really, now you have, I think, Yellowstone, which is kind of like a neo-Western type thing, but totally, uh, you, didn't have, you didn't have a, a really a Western for, you know, maybe Bonanza or Gunsmoke. Even or, Hell on Wills was an answer to this kind of, you know, yeah, yeah, like, okay, so it's just like, yeah, it was like the AMC version of Deadwood. Yeah. But yeah, that's true. <laughs> Everything else had to be kind of a neo-Western, where it's like we're referencing everybody, but they're in modern day criminal or cops or right. clothing. Like Breaking Bad is basically a neo-Western, but it's just, 
it's a very minor comparison to what an actual <laughs> western is since neo western it's got western elements but it's not a up front west. I think it's so. just because it's set in the desert. I mean, that's really exactly. the, it's the look of the <laughs> show. Go. That's, that's, that's all you need. Total, it's that's, that's right on the surface. It's just more to me. It's more noir than anything else, you know. That, right. But that's a remarkable show too. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah. But, and uh, it was kind of know. another one. Like you, hearing somebody talk about it was not going to do it any service. You had to actually seek out and watch it. Like when I heard, you know, all the potheads talking about Breaking Bad, I I could have not even remotely brace myself for what I was in for. It's like, no, this is a very well done uh, uh, addiction. And yeah, with, with this, this is like, is like anyone else, don't, don't let anyone tell us. I know this sounds kind of contrary since we're talking about the show and telling everyone else to watch it. But it's like, no, actually sit down and make up your mind about it. Because, I mean, people who don't like it, I mean, I've seen people who don't like Westerns like this show. That's how groundbreaking it is. <laughs> Yeah, because it's character. Character it's comes first. Character. It's like it's it like I like I mentioned before, like all the shows at this at this point in time really didn't matter what genre it was. It's not really mm-hmm. about the plot necessarily. It's more about it's you know this really huge emphasis on character. Now, I mean, it's pretty much everything today as well. I mean, it's not changed. No, but, you know, it really kind of started in the late you know late nineties, early two thousands with just the landscape of television just became more everything about character. It was yeah, you know, the ones that going through about, and, yeah, the ones that worried about content didn't last too long. But the ones that yeah. did actually uh, make great use of their intense story, you know, they they're that they, they still have a fan base. There's still someone checking them out, and I'm glad the HBO Max app launched when it did because it's like, well, okay, good, you got all your gems here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and I think yeah. I think you, you you hit on something with saying that you you could probably take these stories you said for people that don't like westerns can watch this you could mm-hmm. probably take these scripts and put them in like corporate america with cutthroat companies yes. and, and transplant <laughs> it and, and you would it wouldn't be right it's not right. particular to it just so happens to be taking place in the 1870s but not it's not directly tied to it meaning it's it's the setting but the characters are so compelling and what they're going through could be transplanted in you know the the back and forths the alliances the backstabbing the double dealing all yep. that could be put in any any era and and be just as successful with this type of cast and this type of writing just so happened yeah. to have been in the west that's yeah totally, you would like true. to think yeah in this that's sort of no man's that... land kind of setting you know right and lands. i mean yeah that's really what makes a western right you know like in the same way that a space opera is basically a Western happening in space. Mm-hmm. You have the thing that makes a Western is that the, the action is going on in a place where there's nothing else. You're on some kind of frontier, <laughs> you're on yeah. your own and whatever happens here stays here. And right. I really think that um, that's one of the things that, that Deadwood did so well is that feeling of like, there's this thriving community here and we're actually all working really hard to mm-hmm. make it work. And the reason that we're all working hard to make it work is because none of us fit in anywhere else. Which is the only place that we can be. And that's why Swearingen does everything that he has to do to keep this town running because this is the only place that he can be at Mm. this point. It's the only thing, and he needs to rule over it. But, um, because that's so true. Because you do feel like the town is very much alive. Even all the background players are really just 
you you feel like this is an actual town because like nowadays if there was like maybe a bigger uh, respectable name they would still just fall victim to just relying on casting big names and just kind of letting the camera just do fancy close-ups of them and just letting the actors carry the movie and that's that just is a turn off for me I, I really like it when you actually are thinking about how to detail some kind of significant life in something that may have happened you know and because it is not an easy feat there are plenty of people who just can't seem to walk the right way you know it's kind of <laughs> I, I had some pals who were were actual cowboys and they would get pissed off when they saw someone who's like i can tell they're not a real cowboy because their belts they don't even have a belt so. city you, you city right slicker ass. yeah <laughs> rolling rolling nope yeah, I, 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 think Deadwood, I think Deadwood benefited from having that lived-in look, and and it was all practical sets too. Thank God that that this wasn't done now, where they would want to CG some of the back. We can CG the backgrounds. We could CG yeah. this. Right, yeah. Th this needed to have that muddy, I, like Eric said, that muddy lived-in oh, look man. to it. These people needed to look dirty. You can't just smear like th they legitimately look like they rolled around. It didn't look like someone just smeared a little on them. And, and then the rest of their face was clean. It was like like Calamity Jane looked like she slept right in, in, in the mud somewhere, literally. And, like, and then she got up the next morning and she's covered in mud. Like, yeah, it's like, it, it, but she's sitting on a bed or she she might be sitting on a porch. Well, and <laughs> everyone is sweaty all the time, yeah. which I really appreciated because it gets hot as hell out there in South yeah. Dakota during yeah. the day. And, you know, Victorian times, everybody's all buttoned up all the time yeah. and wearing so many layers you so that you can't smell them this. through their clothes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. and I, I felt like they really got that, like, that claustrophobic, sweaty feeling of everybody wearing too much clothing all the time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they feel trapped. Even when you see some of the guys showering at the uh, coal mine, it's just like, yeah, and that's what happened, you know? <laughs> there was no privacy or you know, one at a time, can someone use the public restroom or something? It's like, no. <laughs> Everybody's got to take turns, and you don't like it, you get what you get. You know, it might as well be a prison. You know, it might as well, well be I slavery. Mean, that's really one of the things that I think made Deadwood the town and Deadwood the show so good, because the show appreciated this about the Wild West. Like, there, sure, there are people that are out there homesteading, Right. People who just mm -hmm. want a, a new start for themselves and their families and go to church and everything. But those are not the people who ended up in Deadwood because, you know, like right. I said before, this was they were not legally allowed to even be there at first. Like mm -hmm. they they were trespassing. And the people who ended up in these types of mining camps were people who had warrants out for their arrest in lawful places. You know, they mm -hmm. they came to places like this to get away from civilization and I felt like just even the, the grubby feeling of the show and the aesthetic and the way that, um, like what you just said, like it might as well have been a prison for all the privacy you had, like kind of makes sense. A lot of these people were running away from going to prison. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, <laughs> this is as good as it gets. So <laughs> it's almost like Casablanca, right? You know, mm -hmm. you think of that, you think of like all the refugees coming to together and having to live or, or even Star Trek Deep Space Nine, where all yeah. everybody had to kind of live together on this yeah. crappy space station in the middle of nowhere. Babylon 5, everybody yeah. is basically like part of a <laughs> government, know. which is kind of forming a coup against itself. And is yeah. like, who, who really believes in what they're representing? Yeah, I mean, you see many people who have to work on their manners and uh, 
yeah, just all other sorts of. But it uh, makes for great that's... entertainment though. Like you have these all these shady characters. You have you know you don't know what's up with this guy and that and you and and through it all you get to know these people. They do have to kind of become some sort of a a community, right? Mm-hmm. They, they, you know, they, they 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 you know, and if you step out of line, you're gone. You know, it's like you know, yeah, it's literally that that simple. You know, I love just, how uh, yeah. when they're even taking down Hearst's men, they're like, and he just ate here. And it does make you wonder. It's like, yeah, they, they could have <laughs> saved themselves the trouble by actually poisoning him. But did they actually know how to do that even here? You know, with that yeah. food, he's not too far off with Evie's food. <laughs> oh, that's true. Until, it, until, it until, Aunt Lou, until Aunt Lou came and started cooking. <laughs> and, and that's right. Three. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Aunt Lou. <laughs> Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> well, and something else I I wanted to say, and so this doesn't really follow the conversation, but I'm just saying it because I've been mm-hmm. sitting on it this whole time. Say it. Um, <laughs> is how much I appreciated, like again, going back to the prostitutes. I have a, a vested interest in accurately portraying the work of prostitutes, particularly in I think Wild West um, settings. They would because... always be like, "No big deal. We're naturally in love." I'm like, uh, "No." <laughs> Well, because the the Wild West, as we think of it now, relied so heavily on women doing this labor. There yeah. was, you know, there was a brothel in every town because most of the people that came out to work on the mines or on the farms were men. Everything was a degrading position, you know, and it just reminds you of how back in early Hollywood, how, you know, an actress or actor was not much different than this profession back then. So it's just like, well... But that was a step in the right direction, breaking through, just saying, you know, because especially when the stage manager, I mean, they kind of hint at the circus freaks that would have been out there. I mean, those guys also, once again, that's a degrading position, too, you know, back then. Well, I mean, depends on depends on your perspective on it, I guess, because, I mean, it was a matter of survival for most people who were doing that kind of work. You know, they 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 were getting by however (laughs) they could. And once you had done that kind of work. You couldn't just reintegrate yourself into society, especially yeah, it's not, not like that. Like everyone just forgets. And, oh, right. Yeah. It's like, and they do do that a few different times when her people are partying. Like, didn't I see you at that saloon? <laughs> right. <laughs> you yeah. were great. You know, but it means a whole different subtext. You were great. Well, <laughs> it's been really interesting. I I lived. I was born and raised. Well, not born actually. I was born in Montana. I was raised on the East Coast, and now Ooh, I've moved back to Montana. Uh, where I've been living for the past six years. And within, I guess, about three hours driving distance of me, there are two different brothel museums. Oh, wow. Which are literally, <laughs> you know, buildings that used to be brothels that are now museums. And mm. I've been to both of them, and they're fascinating. And I really, I've started reading books about women who worked as prostitutes in the Old West because they're they're often portrayed in Westerns and in, you know, various types of western um, entertainment but they're usually an afterthought or they're something pretty Always to look afterthought. at very in, in fact building on that i feel like many of them uh back when every other movie was basically politically incorrect they would just treat them just so poorly like they were just a body shield in one scene no thought given to it i'm like well yeah that happened but you're doing it very carelessly like you know, you're not you know, realizing the how you know uh how this was survival is like <laughs> they're not human beings in some yeah. certain right. cases yeah not portrayed as 
but yeah, they, they Deadwood did a remarkable job uh, portraying the bringing out the you know the humanity. And, and but it's like, I wonder though, would here's a question. I mean, in today's landscape with uh, the cancel culture and all this kind of thing, do you think <laughs> a show like Deadwood? This is a good, really great still, example. Could it could it could it still play it out still the way the way it did? It could still work, but you'd be more tight lived. Like there was this one show on Stars that was about strippers. So it was like, I mean, there was Hustlers, and that earned J Lo a award nomination. So I mean, but like you say, it might not be as easy to navigate. I mean, and if and if there were, I haven't heard anything chaotic about behind the scenes. So yeah, the only black eye for me is just seeing Jeffrey Jones because fuck that dude. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and they, and I'm surprised they brought him back for the film. But I was like, what is he? What is he doing? They here? didn't even need him. He just gave yeah. one speech that could have been delivered by anybody, <laughs> or just or just cut out. Even you know, yeah, yeah. I was like, what? That's kind of strange. Huh. Yeah, I don't know. I guess they figured, hey, he's a shitty person, but <laughs> shows up on time. I don't know, and that it does make you wonder how many people just say, I. I don't get the logic behind that. I'd like yeah. to think they weren't sympathetic toward him, but I don't know. Yeah. I think it was an honest portrayal of, 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 of it was representation was there in this show. I think before representation, I think became a thing nowadays where everything's sort of grandstanding and, you know, like, you know, we have to do this and we got to do this and we have to show this. And I love it when people just did it back in the day without, yeah any you know we, we weren't told that they were they were planning to do this you know they would just they would just do it they and left them alone I, they had yeah. names attached to it they took a chance on them right and like you say they're nowadays everything is just way too much the studios know, are getting impatient so they're just trying to appeal to the nearest we best. know everything that's going to happen in in, in in an upcoming marvel movie like we're gonna have you know, a, a gay before, character. Two years before it comes out. Exactly. Know, so before it's so. even written, even. It's like, we're going to mm -hmm. have a gay character. We're going to have this, you know, this person, that person, whatever. I, I don't know. Anything that went wrong, we can digitally erase all the boom mics and the <laughs> nipple slips. And the... If, 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 we're making, if we're making Marvel comparisons, I'm going to say that uh, George Hurst was the Thanos of Deadwood. <laughs> <laughs> he was a pretty shitty person. And he was, was he funny was... how every portrayal of him wanted to kind of honor him. It's like, no, you look at the PBS documentary that came out lately. He is not a good person. <laughs> he was his, yeah, Gerald McRaney was the Thanos of, of Deadwood. Absolutely. He came in and everybody shivered and everybody was like, you know, what, what's going to happen to us? He was the guy that could destroy everything with it, literally with a snap yeah. of his fingers. Right. That's, That's right. right. <laughs> from that point, Cause he was a real bad apple on everything else from this point on, uh, Longmire, yeah. especially. I, Which when, when, I think is probably the, one of the best modern day westerns. Yeah, yeah agreed. Yeah, that's right. When I Dillahunt think... was, was when he played the when he played Walcott and he was telling everybody that he worked for him, everybody was kind of yeah. like, oh, oh right. yeah, yeah, a year's yeah. first. Oh, right. yeah. yeah, you it's know, like point, yeah, you oh, just, yeah, that's right. Wants. That 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 dark cloud was already. <laughs> being, yeah, yeah. And it is funny yeah. how they would portray politicians back in the '90s, and nowadays they kind of. I don't know. They kind of overdo it. Like Designated Survivor was kind of the only one where I thought just felt unfiltered because it was like nowadays we got to kind of just have a giant rant. And it's like, no, back then they're just showing is like politicians is like we're pretty greedy like they are today. Yeah. It's just like 
no filtering that. And yeah, I can totally buy that. He probably had a few hired guns who couldn't trace it back to him. And he was like, yep. get rid of witnesses that could testify against me. Yep. If you had money, you had, you had everything you needed as long as you had money. Yep. Or there's a will, there's yeah. a way. Yeah. And you know, that's actually maybe something that really like made the town of Deadwood and the show come together so much is like nobody really did have money there. There were people who yeah. were way better off than other people, but like everyone who started the town of Deadwood was in more or less the same situation. Like, you know, Swearingen is always giving people credit or, you know, giving them like a, a free romp with one of the prostitutes or something mm -hmm. or giving them free drinks because money wasn't really the thing that anybody there yeah. had. That's why they were all there trying to, you know, mine for gold. Yeah, X um, amount of coins, you know, and yeah. which meant different value back then. But no, that's true. You guys did mention the credits earlier. And it's like, I can't think of any yeah. other Western show yeah. where anyone gave any money prop, like a second chance. It was always, well, just go on over to the wheel. We'll be right in with you. And it's just like, uh, to, and I mean, you do kind of get an idea of like, we're talking about today's uh, society. I mean, I mentioned mental retardation. I even, you, you guys brought up stuff about the homeless and, Again, uh, the street walkers is just like, yeah, I mean, you actually do kind of get an idea of what was people even doing at in the middle of the night? They're just, you know, Kim Dickens character especially is often just looking around, just knowing something as bad is going to happen tonight. And she's just kind of just bracing herself. She's like, yeah, something bad's going to happen. And she'll just look longingly into the sky is like, I'm hoping something better happens later, though. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, just a feeling, a kind of a feeling of dread or despair. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like you don't, you, yeah. you lived in a in a time when, yeah, a, a gun a gunshot goes off and everybody everybody like runs to the window and looks and and they're seeing something a scuffle out in a, you know, out in the out in the main drag or whatever. So I totally mm -hmm. get that. It's just like yeah, you, you we're weren't sure what was going to happen, especially like like Lindsay said, this was a, a territory that was. Uh, they were run. They were run off by the Indians, and I think they mentioned that in the series that they were run off, but then they came back. Yeah. So yeah, you talk yes. about you don't you don't even have the 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 shadow of the government to protect you or or organ organization organized government or anything. So you're literally out there, uh, totally fending, fending for yourself. There's anything goes, you know. So you really got to watch your back. Oh, uh, yeah. I take that back. I forget there is that one Native American fight in season one. I think it happens mm -hmm. around the eighth episode. Yep. Yeah. With the, when he goes to the burial burial ground by accident. That's true. Right? And I, with, with I, I kept expecting whatever his name was, uh, Redhorn or whatever, is like, yeah, I'm, yeah, you do kind of expect Bullock to get ambushed by another arrow or something, you know? Yeah. At this at this period of time, I think it was around then. It was after uh, the Battle of Little Bighorn when, oh, okay. you know, the native population was expecting that because they had defeated the cavalry that they would be left alone. They'd back down. <laughs> and they were not Roger. left alone. Um, mm. And things were really bad. And there were there were uh, Lakota warriors that would go up into the Black Hills and just hide and shoot miners while they were working and just <laughs> trying to like kill enough people that the whites would be scared off their land. And, right. you know, it didn't work, <laughs> sadly, but... Um, it was, I mean, it was very dangerous to be in that area at that time, if you were a white person. I, I could believe it, and I think that's just what the show does good. I mean, uh, you never get a sense that everyone's too comfortable, because then that would just be just a fly-out lie. That would be Holly, the Hollywood version of it. So. Yeah. 
If this was and a John Wayne Western, to be how did you? I'm gonna go shoot some Indians. <laughs> right, right. And I always, I actually always thought that it was really interesting how Swearingen, what does he call I swear. them? Swear. He calls he calls the natives like dirt worshippers. Yeah, yeah, dirt worshippers. Dirt worshippers. Yeah, the colored names. I mean, he can't. And that's the other thing too is like they're in on the joke nowadays if a movie did this they would just have all kinds of slurs and you wouldn't be able to tell if the filmmaker you know was a bigot or not and it's like yeah you you totally get that everybody called each other just slurs back in that day and so yeah he can't go up well i don't know i mean this is this is really at a time where like there was a extremely successful you know 100 years running propaganda campaign literally trying to convince people that native americans were not humans uh, and because yeah and Swearingen was just <laughs> like, like <laughs> the interesting thing that we that we see with Swearingen's character over and over again is that he is hiding his humanity and his sympathy for people beneath this this character that he puts on that's and true. i think that Everybody... part of his insistence on calling them names is that he knows that he is on the chopping block he basically runs this town so if the natives take the town back, he loses everything and probably yeah, I, including his own head. So oh, totally. um, I, I would see similar promotion to the Sopranos and like I disagree with the Sopranos thing. I mean, it opened the door for stuff like this. But I mean, those guys are proud of who they are. He is not proud of who he is. You know, hmm. none of these people would have been. It was just, again, their way of existence. And so, like you say, uh, he does always say people call people in a uh, off color words, but it's in an you know, off color way. And it's kind of a, his way of satire kind of joking to himself. Cause he knows, you know, not anybody, everybody is what they really truly are underneath. And yes, to admit any kind of humanity would to be kind of admit weakness. Cause he knows someone will take right. advantage of it or basically shank him into sleep. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, and in, in the first I, I, season, he's offering bounties for scalps when they, yeah. Yep. When they Don't tell think, him if he even has the money, but he's just like, I want to set an example. You know? Yeah, <laughs> but, but, but they, I think but, it's also like fear. He knows that this is a dangerous place to be. He wants to establish himself, and so he wants to do what he can to keep I natives talk away. The talk, walk the walk. Yeah. The, mm-hmm. the thing that they did do, do with the Native Americans, though, is, is when Seth got uh, attacked, they kind of acknowledged. He said, well, I, I, the reason why I got attacked was because I, I kind of trespassed on their burial area. So yeah. he was, he kind of understood, and then they and then, you know, he because he said he needed to be buried a certain way, and, and they made sure that they did that as well too. He was so going they kind on of a side mission and scouting, and yeah. yeah, he learned from the mistake, and he never goes there again. He rarely even goes out of town ever yeah. after that. And yeah, right. so so they did they did treat that part with respect. Where where Swearingen, yeah. yeah, they're you know they're heathens or whatever they are, but they they did the, the time that a, a Native American did actually appear on the show. You know, he he attacked somebody, but it was it, there was a justification for it. Right. It wasn't just murder. It was like, well, yeah. he, you know, this point. was his sacred his sacred ground, and and Seth Bullock actually understood that. He goes, well, I I kind of I I I it turns out that I trespassed when they found that little that structure that he built. Yeah. Um, oh, totally. So, so I thought was that was kind of interesting that they that they did acknowledge that. Yeah, Absolutely. that's actually a really good point, and it it also points to the fact that like. I really think that they were they weren't working hard to make every aspect of the show historically accurate, but because at the beginning of the show it's right after Custer was killed. I mean, they were right in the middle of the Great Sioux Nation in their most sacred land is right where Deadwood is. Mm-hmm. And 
they yeah, I like that they, they're showing that the characters recognize this. It's not just like, oh, there might be some people hiding in the trees who might shoot us. They're like, there's literally an army that just defeated the seventh cavalry out yeah, there. Yeah, they show and, Union soldiers walking in, but even them, like, they don't stay long. They're like, we gotta get out and get back to work. Right. You know, like this is an extremely dangerous place to be. And Endorse so me if I, I become a senator, ha ha ha. If I lack to live. <laughs> But it is interesting that, you know, like the character of Seth Bullock is very respectful because, I mean, he came from Montana where the battle happened, near where the battle happened. He knows how dangerous this is and how much this enemy of the Americans needs to be respected. Fighting. And then you have Al Swearingen, who will just fling around epithets willy-nilly because he's trying to talk such a big game. It's really right. when, interesting. When you... Uh, pretty much, yeah. You can tell Bullock comes from a respectable family who may or may not have been close to getting slaughtered at a you know a homestand in the middle of Montana. And you know, it's like Swearingen hangs around all the petty people, but he uses those guys to his advantage to keep them alive. And also, yeah. uh, at the minute, again, money is threatened or lives are threatened, that's when it gets uh, real. And uh, yeah, if this was a Hollywood Western, a main, main, like, giant spectacle, it would have a miscast actor against a blue screen on an unconvincing yeah. horse, and then, yeah, <laughs> he would be probably shot or whipped or thrown around like Arnold Schwarzenegger and then get up at the last minute to shoot the Indian, and you would be just like, what are you thinking? You know? <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad we didn't get that show. Totally. I would have been just like, fuck this. Is like no, it doesn't work that way at all. That's if Sam, that's if Sam Raimi would have directed it back then. But at least he would have been in on the show. Like evil, evil dead, evil Deadwood. Evil Deadwood. I'll buy it. Well, we got that with Bristol County, so but I know what you, you mean. Go. Yeah, it's like if this was a, we would have basically gotten something even goofier than Cowboys and Indians. Probably we would have probably yeah from Rennie Harlan. And yeah, the okay. guys who brought you a bunch of other Jerry Bruckheimer shit fest comes. <laughs> <laughs> the movie you didn't ask for, starring a bunch of old men who can't Cut, even... Cut Rhode Island, well, too. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I would totally watch Bruce Campbell as Seth Bullock. Oh, it would be awesome. I, <laughs> it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be not fun. It would just be thinking, not the same. <laughs> believe it or not, he's actually thinking of bringing Briscoe County back. He said, really? promoting Evil Dead TV show, so... Uh, I'm going to cross my fingers because <laughs> that show was also a great, that wasn't, well, see, we even talked about that here. It was like, that was a good fantasy show yeah. that built its world and made it look real. And it's like, you know, anyone else would have just been like, ho-hum, you know, it's just like, <laughs> you're just copying High Noon for the billionth time with a close-up of the church bell and guys going out <laughs> for a duel. <laughs> and I do like how we don't even get, it never becomes the dual show. Who's going to go out yeah. and you know, do a measuring contest? So many of those, it just seemed like for a while, they just wanted to just, you know, again, pay tribute to the Spaghetti Westerns they grew up watching on antenna channels. And I'm like, well, again, homages are not the same as storytelling. <laughs> and I think yeah, that, that's where the quick and the dead came in from, from Raimi, right? Uh, that was just yeah. gun, one, do one, it's a great film, but that's one, one gunfight after another. That's all it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like a it's like a bracket uh, of uh, of gunfighting. Oh, totally. And I don't know. Half the time, it just seems like everyone's on Fast and Furious Expendables mode, where this is like they they don't care what the tone is. They just want to make it quick and just let the fans eat it up, who are going to be more yep. forgiving. I'm like, well, 
<laughs> Typically, I got an F in film screenwriting if I did shit like that and I didn't let people in on what I was going for. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> people don't care when money's involved. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in many ways, you're basically, you guys have all summed up. This is also kind of a breakdown of just uh, movie making in general. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't make this any other way. It would just be too long. It mm. would flop at the box office or it just would just have something that, you know, it would have a bunch of actors who don't even look like what they say they are, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I think they caught lightning in a bottle. Uh, just at the time when this came out where people were, you know, before the splitting of streaming and, and just all the different ways to consume, you know, HBO was kind of like the last bastion of of sitting in front of the TV because they had everybody for the Sopranos each week. So they kind of had that 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 last hurrah of before you were choosing different streaming things and everything was so different segmented that, that this was, it was yeah. yeah, it was yeah. still it was still kind of, you know, this was still kind of an event you know, for cable where people were tuning into it. And you know, like you said, yeah, the, nowadays it's, it's going to be on some sub channel like epics or something, so you know, said on Twitter about this scene. <laughs> yeah. like, it's, we're back to clickbait again, where it's yeah. just like, don't do it guys. Don't <laughs> even comment. If you haven't even seen the movie or the show, come on, you know, keep moving. <laughs> keep mo yeah. Move along. <laughs> nothing nothing to see here. <laughs> you might end up dead in a bar fight. That's it. Or in a whorehouse. <laughs> <laughs> or get fed to the pigs. That's that's where you'll end up. Woo, woo. Oh man. Woo's, woo's pigs. How many people how many people ended up in Woo's pigs? <laughs> there were definitely he mentioned he killed I killed that one cocksucker. Yeah. So yeah. Oh, they he, just always that's it. You just went there. And I hope those pigs were not used for bacon. They never really said if those yeah. pigs just were pigs just for eating? <laughs> I, they were they were pigs that I got eaten eventually. Used for bacon, especially back in that day, because yeah. it does seem like. I mean, come on, look at today's world. You know, we're still <laughs> having the argument over factory farming. So yeah, I, I can totally buy that they were eating shit and being shitty people. Oh, they're bacon. Well, I mean, yeah. What else would a pig be for in a town like this? They're yeah, definitely eating those pigs. <laughs> Gosh, but I know what you mean. I mean, and just like the argument of the horse, it's it's an interesting parallel because you kind of almost expect them to be arguing over property. Like I get to sleep with the horse tonight. He's like, no, they're arguing over the horse, and it, the guy who wants it doesn't even want it. He just wants it just because he spites you know anyone who's black. You know. Yeah. <laughs> and so the, those were they're all the great interesting side missions. I mean. There's no need to even do a movie version of the video game Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> this is it. That's it. You got it here. Yeah. <laughs> All that was missing was a Native American with muscles named Grizzly, and you, you would have had. <laughs> and there you go. Oh, man. So I feel like you guys have summed up just as best uh, as we can all the themes. I mean, we didn't even talk about the tragedy of the boy that brings all these various people together. But, I mean... That's okay. I mean, we still pretty much talked into how it was like this went in an unusual direction, and I don't think you could even script anything like this ever again just because, I don't know, someone would just want to just take a shortcut, and it just wouldn't look like any kind of history or chapter. Mm -hmm. oh. it, it just seems so – it doesn't seem that long ago either. And no, it, is. it aged very well. You know what I'm saying? Like it's it just it's it just feels, and, and but you're right. I mean today it's just, it's just such a different landscape. 
I even saw someone give a ho hum review of the movie saying I liked how the show originally ended. I'm like, what? what? <laughs> it ended on a cliffhanger. <laughs> it just ended. Yeah, that was like, about okay. to get assaulted yeah. and someone's going out for a duel, threatening blood, and you think that's an ending? That's how it all ended? Get out of here. <laughs> You know, I, think I actually is. think that Deadwood holds up really well, like well enough that I think. Oh no, it's still a it, great show. It, it, it was... If it were to air now, I think it would still be well received. I mean, sure, yeah. there might be more backlash about some of the things that get said on the show, mm-hmm. but I, you know, just after even the conversation that we had, I'm thinking about it, and I never really feel like anything that happened on the show would be what they call now punching down. Mm-hmm. Correct. You I know, never was, felt like it, it was them just being too loosey-goosey. Yeah, nobody was just being mean for the sake of being mean. Any character who was being mean to someone in a less advantaged position was doing it for a reason. And sometimes it was maybe a shitty reason, but like it yeah. it fit their character. Yeah. And it never felt like the show was trying to... Emulate other movies or shows. Yeah. Or, 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 or even say... Yeah, it wasn't right. pandering. It wasn't trying to please anyone. It was just telling no. the story. And I think that means that its integrity is intact. And I I don't I feel like it would still play pretty well today. Totally. I mean, yep. it's kind of like with comedians, you know, the ones who tell the joke well, let alone to the right people, you know, they get it, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's pretty hard for this to go wrong, really. I mean, <laughs> it seemed like everyone who saw it just, you know, it was kind of slow word of mouth. <laughs> and but like like you say i mean uh it seems like it's been well embraced by the brand of the channel it just was again they they cut it they just killed it too soon just because they weren't impressed with ratings and the costs but i think that i think everyone had like a decade to learn that that is like okay you got to take a chance and you got to spend a mm-hmm. bunch because otherwise you're not going to get any viewers you can only yeah. cancel so many shows before you do actually lose value in your. <laughs> yeah, and, and and when does it ha- ever happen that what, thirteen years later, they decide it's to make a sequel a film? Like you right, know yeah. that that kind of says something for it as well that it it it, it sailed off into its its good night and and canceled. How can we get the Rome movie? You know, and yeah, it's kind of like, oh, okay, it got its three seasons canceled. That's it. And then it's like, okay, how many years later we're gonna we're gonna close it out? So it it must have meant something to to somebody at HBO as well, or yeah. that that they got everybody back together for one more Someone go around. Was listening, yeah, yeah. I, I think, uh, I, and I saw some. It's a shame because I think that is since Milch has, of course, unfortunately, gotten dementia. This is it. No, and yeah. Thank God we got some kind of follow up. But I mean, it's just like it's one of those where it's just like, uh, thank God they even got to get something done in the way. Because, I mean, HBO had done other movie adaptations of his shows, which I can't say I necessarily recommend. They were just like, well, we're just all back together having too much fun. And like I was let down by the Sopranos movie. I just didn't feel like it was a good standalone movie or a good just prequel. I was just like, Mm -hmm. so everything I came to see, I didn't even get. (laughs) and this one you felt like it was just a proper continuation 10 years later here's what's happening introduce a few new characters who you can buy kind of i mean hitchhikers and other unusual guns for hire who you know everyone and you know everything the minute you need to know you know it's like so many shows now kind of just wait on doing too many guessing games to where you kind of lose interest just 
because when the mystery delivers, it's not, it, it just doesn't live up to the buildup. And mm -hmm. then you got other, again, like now it's cool to be both a TV and a movie actor. People kind of forget you were either one or the other. You didn't really get to do both often. Now people mm -hmm. will shell out 30 million for a famous actor to be the star of a limited event series. You know, and it's like, well, times have changed. People are getting more competitive and trying to have the competition stand out. And of course, studios hear each other producers' ideas and they get ideas mm -hmm. and they follow up. So uh, I hope, like you guys say, we can just keep having just some kind of edgy show that's just like legit. Someone wanted to tell, had a, had a story to tell instead of whose ass can I kick in the ratings department, you know, next week? <laughs> <laughs> Who can I wipe the floor with like all these people who visit my bar? <laughs> <laughs> And I like that, too. Anytime there's a cleanup, they never do it just for gore reason or anything. It's like, yeah, no. Someone, you give an idea, it's like someone had to get down on their knees and actually, you know, say, I'm going to be soaked in filth all night long and get maybe two hours of sleep. This is before we had alarm clocks. And <laughs> clean my bar by... Yep. Scrub, scrub the blood off the floor. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of scrubbing. It won't come up easy. Yeah. We didn't have sanitization or anything, <laughs> Well, thank you all. I, you you tore into this cool chapter of TV, so thank you. Thank you. Yeah, this was fun. Yeah. Anytime. Thanks for having us.